listening to The Social Workers on WCDB Albany. And welcome back to The Social Workers on University at Albany's radio station, WCDB Albany. My name is Eric Hardiman, and I'm back here with Alyssa Lotmore. Welcome back, Alyssa. Hey, Eric. Great to be here today. We have an exciting show lined up for you on The Social Workers. If you're just tuning in for the first time, The Social Workers is a live radio talk show where we interview folks from the community, both the university community and the community at large, about topics related to social work, social welfare, community well-being, lots of, you know, a really broad range of topics, right, Alyssa? Yeah, and the goal is to reach individuals who might never have considered seeing or using a social worker. So it's sort of the public is client for us. So if you're driving around and listening and tuning in and you're wondering, do I really want to listen to a show about social work? Uh, we hope you'll stay tuned. It's not just about social work, but that's really just a starting off point for us. Uh, the show is also available, just to remind you, in podcast format and uh, iTunes and Alyssa can tell you about the different ways to get to the show. We are on iTunes. Uh, we're just a social workers radio talk show. And we also are on social media, on Facebook and Twitter with at, at uh, the handle at social workers FM. At Social Workers FM. Excellent. Okay, so on to today's episode. We have with us a special guest live in the studio today, Heather Larkin. Dr. Heather Larkin is an associate professor here at the University of Albany in the School of Social Welfare. She also directs the National Center for Excellence in Homeless Services, which is a national consortium of schools of social work. In the capital region here in New York, she also leads a region-wide ACE trauma and resilience groups called HEARTS. ACE is Adverse Childhood Experiences, and we'll talk about that in a minute. She also brings her years of collaborative leadership, discerning research, and theory building on homelessness, as well as resilience to the innovations in post-disaster management. Very exciting to have Dr. Heather Larkin with us here in the studio. Welcome to the show, Heather. Great. Thanks so much for having me today. I look forward to answering your questions. So I want to just start off right away. Eric gave a great bio of you. You've done so much work. What led you to the field of social work? Because we hear, I just heard about all of the different things you're involved with, many different populations, mm -hmm. many different uh, areas of expertise. What even led you to begin and start this interest in the social work research? Well, that's a great question, and it brings us way back. I actually um, always knew from a very young age that I wanted to be somehow involved in helping professions. And when I went to college, I started out majoring in psychology. I finished up my psychology requirements pretty quickly, and I started taking courses in sociology, cultural anthropology, um, really you know, paying attention to some of these larger societal issues that are mm -hmm. impacting on people. And through that process, I realized, oh, I'm, I um, actually actually can have the credits to do a second major in women's studies. So I really was um, learning more about how um, oppression and how we set up our structures in society and about sometimes cultural biases and all, all of these sort of things have such an impact on people's individual lives. And so I felt like psychology was not quite an adequate framework for the way that I was thinking about, you know, how I want to go about helping people. 
Um, and at that time, way back, I was doing work study for my financial aid in the counseling center at the university. I was at the University of Rhode Island then. And I saw that there were different kinds of counselors in the, in the counseling center. There were psychologists and people with um, masters in family therapy. And also there were a couple of social workers. And I found that I just really felt drawn to the social workers and the way that they interacted. And I started asking more questions and learning about social work. They actually... Uh, at least at that time, there was not a, a social work program at the University of Rhode Island. And so then I started thinking, well, you know, when I go on to get a graduate degree, I think instead of going for psychology, I want to go for something like social work where it's going to help me to bring together this sort of understanding of individual vulnerabilities and societal um, influences on people and figure out how to work with those issues together to be as comprehensive as possible in being helpful. So that's how I started as a social worker. So you've had a, a long, complex journey to social work. Tell us how long you've been at the University at Albany. I've been at the University at Albany since 2006, um, which is amazing to realize. So like 13 years now. Um, so. Um, yeah, I'm very happy to be on the faculty here. And um, that was after many years of practice experience. I had actually finished my MSW in 94 mm -hmm. and practiced for seven years full time and then continued to practice part time while I was working on my PhD. Now, has your area of interest always been the same? I mean, you tackle homelessness, adverse childhood experiences. What has been, was there an initial draw to a certain area and it led to other areas? Or how did you get about sort of a diverse range of expertise? Sure. Well, since we're going way back, I'll continue <laughs> from where I left off. So my first full-time job as a um, master's level social worker was um, in a rural area, the northern third of New Hampshire, actually. And I worked for a community mental health center there. And what I came to realize was there was a real lack of resources. There weren't, it wasn't like each hospital or school or nursing home did not have their own social worker. And they would look to the community mental health center to do contracted work to get consulting MSW on site. And so I ended up in this position where I was doing um, you know, community-based psychotherapy, mental health services in the community mental health center. Also, I was working at some of our satellite offices where there was like no other counselor in town. And I was realizing I was getting a lot of substance use cases. And so I was, I also ended up getting a becoming a licensed alcohol drug counselor. And because I had the MSW and not everybody in the community mental health center did, I was asked to do some of these contracted uh, contracted work with hospitals, nursing homes, schools, assisted living. So I was kind of in this unique situation in a rural area where I realized that sometimes the kids referred to me in the school or the grandparents referred to me in the nursing home were somehow connected in the family with some of the highest risk people that we were serving in the community mental health center. Mm. And I thought, gosh, you know, if I wasn't um, in this unique role of kind of consulting in these different settings and working for the community mental health center, I might not be aware of how these kind of highest risk families are popping up in different ways in different systems. 
And it was kind of weird because I'd actually sometimes have to get a release to share information with myself, technically, right? Because <laughs> if I meet with somebody at the hospital and I realize that, you know, I'm working with somebody or we're working with somebody at the community mental health center as part of their family or, or seeing them in another capacity, it helps to be able to share that information across systems. But I'd have to be careful to what I said in what setting, depending on who had signed a release or not. But it gave me this awareness that highest risk families with you know a lot going on in their lives were showing up in different systems and that maybe there was something about how we delivered services that could be more comprehensive or that could better help the people who needed the help the most mm -hmm. and in a more holistic kind of um, way like thinking intergenerationally and in, in whole family and not just looking at like the immediate acute symptoms in an individual person showing up at a particular time right and so um, seven years of practice after becoming licensed clinical social worker and licensed alcohol drug counselor I thought well I want to I think I want to go back and get my PhD not doing more learning more clinically but to really focus on this issue of how do we best serve the highest risk population groups and are there things that we might want to consider in how we design services so that we're actually prioritizing that group and I was thinking as a social worker like gee our code of ethics says that you know we're supposed to prioritize the people who need the help the most and the way our systems are set up kind of in a fragmented way looking at kind of um, immediate symptoms or something mm -hmm. and what seemed like it was not it was leading to a situation where people who who were at the highest risk were in the worst position to navigate that system. And it was kind of luck in some circumstance when you have the same person in a rural area ending up seeing that going on and being able to find a way to coordinate things a little more. But it wasn't it wasn't facilitated by the structures that we're in, right? And so that's why I went back to get my PhD, was yeah. focusing then more on macro issues around service delivery and sure. thinking about high-risk population groups as a priority. And I may be fast-forwarding here a little bit, but I know that some of your work here in the Albany community and also nationally has been about networking. And, and by networking, I mean mm -hmm. connecting different providers within the community, different policymakers, and, and sort of looking at larger... Uh, relationships between service provision systems. Mm -hmm. So I guess I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit, how you approach that community engagement and networking. Yeah, so when I went to get my PhD, I wanted to study um, service integration. And to make a very long story short, I found out that while there was a lot of talk about it and movement towards more interprofessional collaboration, interagency collaboration, it wasn't happening very much. So mm -hmm. it made it hard to study what are the factors, organizational characteristics, community characteristics that are actually contributing to more service integration. Um, and so th through that process, then I ended up looking for places where I could learn about service service integration sort of model agencies and one model agency that I studied which was where I learned about the adverse childhood experiences research which I've really um, extended in the capital region and have been engaged with a lot of work around here and I'll say more about that but at any rate, when I heard the, about the Adverse Childhood Experiences Research, or ACE um, study, I realized, you know, this is data that could really help kind of drive that movement towards more collaboration and integration, because what the original ACE study was, was medical doctors realizing that these um, accumulated early life adversities, different categories of adverse childhood experience, that when they 
when people had more of those, they created an ACE score by summing the number of categories, not number of incidents, but number of categories. And when people had more of those, they not only had more mental health and substance abuse problems, but more health problems later in life. And so you start to, it starts to help create like a common language across systems where, you know, people, so like, for example, when I first came here in 2006 and I thought, well, let me try to extend the ACE study a little bit, looking at a more high risk population group where the original medical doctors looked at a middle-class population. As you know, I started doing research looking at adverse childhood experiences among people who are experiencing homelessness, right? right? And so I started doing that research, and I also simultaneously had the ACE study researchers come out and do some community presentations. And we had so many of our alumni showing up, and you know, it was so interesting because whether it was people working in with residential treatment for youth or in homeless services or and mental health or older adults with co-occurring disorders, they're all saying, you know, this research is important to us because these are the characteristics of the people that we're serving. These are This is why we provide the services we're doing. So it kind of helped create a shift of like, instead of focusing on the particular consequence of ACEs at a particular point in the lifespan and defining this is what we do, right? That way, all of a sudden you have people who appeared to be doing quite different things with different populations all saying, well, what we do is ACE response, right? So it kind of created a language to start to talk about, you know, how can we work together more across our systems to have more of a comprehensive sort of a community impact. And so, you know, the, my approach has kind of been like, you know, I'm sort of sharing this data that seemed to be, you know, important to me, important in raising awareness about, you know, how we design our service delivery and how we um, help people more comprehensively in the community. But then in sharing that information, just really listening and learning from our providers in our community who are the ones who are, you know, boots on the ground trying to figure out what do we do? How yeah. do we translate this? What does it mean for, you know, what we're already doing? How are we already leaders in this? And where might we kind of build our next step? And how do we start working more across agencies as we have this kind of shared way of talking about it, right? So I kind of would, would learn, uh, have been learning from providers as like sort of watching, like how are people taking that information and how are they translating it? And, you know, what's helping people to be able to work together more across systems? Now, you I know you do a lot of workshops, you do have publications out, and you're making an impact on the community, and that's being felt because people are taking your research and they're learning. How does that translate to the classroom, what you're teaching in classes? What do you teach, and how do you bring your research and expertise into that classroom setting? Well, um, I, th I think it's really helpful, actually, because in you know once uh, becoming a researcher in a university setting and then still having these connections where I'm learning from providers it helps me to have examples that I can bring into class and guest speakers that I can bring into mm -hmm. class too to talk about you know sort of current on the ground you know what's changing in human services and why and also use some of this research on adverse childhood experience and holistic response strategy as a way of trying to help students make connections, you know, across like how do these different pieces we're learning about all kind of tie together, both within the class and across courses as well. Um, so yeah, I think those are some ways. Also, students have gotten interested sometimes, and it's been so nice to have them volunteer or be able to create an assistantship or something working together. Or it might be that a student turns out that they end up doing an internship in one of those agencies, and so then I'm learning from them about, you know, what how they're 
how it's being presented in their agency or how mm -hmm. they're translating something. The other thing that I'll say is really, I think is really important about this research on ACEs and thinking about comprehensive response and all it means in terms of working holistically is that it actually is about all of us. So, and all the professions can be involved in some way, and also the whole larger community can be involved in some way because everybody, anybody can play a role in being a role model, building protective factors, engaging in relationship building, creating peer supports, strengthening social networks in communities that all work together towards creating more of like a culture of health. Um, and so that's one of the things that I think is really exciting too, as I've talked. Um, give presentations at um, the university or had uh, ACE Think Tank and Action Team meetings and had community members participating in those and then sometimes gone to agencies and watched how frontline staff who are not necessarily professional social workers have really um, taken this information. It's pretty simple and compelling research about understanding how accumulated early adversities can play out over people's lives and it's really changed the way that a lot of frontline staff for example, encounter difficult behaviors in youth. Instead of taking a punitive approach, really having much more compassion. Um, and I'll say too, with homelessness in particular, you know, what this really helps to raise awareness of is the individual vulnerability when people have High, high rates of accumulated adversities earlier on, they're much more vulnerable to the societal conditions that we mm -hmm. know are causing homelessness. So, you know, being able to maintain a job and housing, get when there's a lack of jobs and housing, right? When there's a lack of affordable housing and you've had all of these adversities earlier in life and maybe you're experiencing complex or multiple co-occurring, um, you know, mental health, substance abuse, health challenges as a result, and then trying to navigate a fragmented system to get adequate support. You're in the worst position to do that and then to maintain a job and housing when there's so little available too. I, my hope has always been that it would by raising awareness, it would also raise compassion in our larger society so that help would be more forthcoming and that we would, as a society, realize the value of investing in services and supports and community initiatives, community capacity building activities, all of this, that actually by increasing our population health, by investing in the health, healthy development and health of all of our citizens, that's going to have payoffs for all of us. And I hope that any policymakers starting to think about this, even if they're just thinking about financial cost savings, not to mention, you know, the human and societal savings of having a healthy population, that those policymakers will start to realize, you know what, these investments are going to have a payoff. And this is this is worth doing. And that's yeah. real would be a real shift if you know, so many of our um, social service providers and dedicated community members who are trying to help address social problems in our communities are working on a shoestring and and right. really trying to figure out, you know, how can I pull things together to be able to keep carrying on. Mm -hmm. And if we would have our more leaders in our society direct resources, create policies that would support more collaborative and integrated holistic work to help highest mm -hmm. risk population groups, and also direct resources towards those efforts, recognizing that that's an investment that's going to have payoffs. It's not a cost. 
it's going to save us money. And if you think about like what the, you know, for example, if we look at the ACE study and we see, you know, the the many health problems that play out in people's lives down the road, that's like billions of dollars a year in health costs. The original medical doctors who um, created the, the ACE study, the original ACE study authors, they say that these are connected to the leading causes of death in the United States. So, you know, if you think about it like that, you know, for me, when I first learned about the ACE study and was kind of considering the import of it, I thought, you know, in social work, we've always been focused on helping people who have experienced throughout our whole profession, the, you know, the highest risk individuals, accumulated adversities and traumas. We just haven't always talked about it like that. We've tended to say vulnerable, oppressed, disadvantaged population groups, which is all true, but this is another way of explaining what we do and as these medical doctors are literally going around the world talking with the world health organization and everything about aces and what this means and people are like okay what do we do this is a serious issue to me i thought well if social workers could just show you know stand up and be say we're leaders in ace response we've got all these prevention and intervention activities all of which are completely relevant to how do we address these accumulated adversities and to realize too that what we're doing has everything to do with health so social workers yep. and all of the community members who are engaged in addressing these kind of social problems and creating healthier social networks and communities and all of that has everything to do with contributing to population health helping people's individual health so we're health providers now we know that now that we can kind of connect the dots across the research and so it gives us new ways to connect with other professions work together across professions and to explain why what we do is of value and really important to everybody in society i really believe that it's going to have great payoffs to all of us if we pay attention to the healthy development of every single person and that's a valuable investment for our society so if you've just tuned in we're listening to we are talking with and listening to dr heather larkin who is an associate professor at the university at albany school of social welfare and this has been a great conversation so far uh it, it strikes me that some of your ideas are um are really really big ideas. They're ideas about integration across systems and they're, they're ambitious ideas about the community and about providers and about populations at risk in healthcare and mental health care and homelessness and you're really looking across several different domains and social problems and issues and um, one of the words that I hear you use a lot is the word integration. So can you talk about that for just a, a, your vision for integration for a minute? Yeah and that's interesting because it's sort of evolved as well. Um, so when I was, as I was describing in my doctoral program, I was studying service integration, how services and systems were kind of fig figuring out how to bring services on site in one place. And, and as I said, it wasn't happening enough to really do a strong study of it. But what I started to realize was that there's a lot of factors going on. So even if you bring services together on site, they can be just as separate on site as off site if you're not also facilitating the communication between people and working with the a culture within which those services are delivered. One of the ways I found the ACE research really helpful um, is that, you know, for each agency that's thinking about how do I translate this into practice, whatever agency they are, it's not like there's some new ACE intervention. Everything they're already doing is typically an ACE response in some way. They just haven't talked about it that way. But if you can start to look at your services within the agency and how they prevent ACEs or ACE consequences in one way or another, that in itself starts to kind of 
integrate the services together more. It's like more streamlined, right? How they all fit together. But then another important element is how does the leadership set a tone and an example within the culture to create a restorative context that helps to enhance the, the delivery of those increasingly integrated services. And a lot of this has to do with self-care for staff, supporting staff self-care, recognizing that the people providing the services are actually need to be included in our conception of the intervention. It's not just about teaching people what to do with somebody else, but actually you start with yourself. So, so to the extent that agencies could actually recognize that if we can find ways to facilitate staff self-care and all of us contributing together towards a culture of recovery and health mm -hmm. or a culture of resilience, however you want to talk about that restorative context, even therapeutic milieu, we're all creating that together and that's the context within which we're delivering our services. So that's a really important element whether in terms of um, how effective your impact is going to be or your delivery of services that we've tended to neglect leadership's really important because leaders set a tone and an example and leaders also are in a position to change policies and procedures and then furthermore you know when we have this shared ace language across agencies you can start to see how you integrate more with other agencies so you've increasingly integrated services in your own agency but then you see other agencies that you're connecting with talking about how their services are preventing ACEs or ACE consequences in some way at some point in lifespan too, you know, kind of, again, there's this shared language. And the, I think the other key part is finding ways for leaders to come together. That's what the Hearts Initiative has been about, leaders coming together across, agency and bringing, across agencies and bringing in community leaders around how do you support one another in sharing information, reaching policymakers, creating an ACE trauma-informed resilience building approach in your own agency, working together in the community to build protective factors. How, do, can, we, how can we do that together more? And you have this more of a shared language. And like I said, I'm just learning from watching what people are doing and asking questions as it develops. Well, I mean, we're running out of time, but I think this segment, what you did was you in my opinion, you captured really what social work is, how it's the connection, it's learning, it's, you know, working with other people to, you know, seeing research and data and making an impact, sharing knowledge with the public so there is a change. And you inspired me as a social worker to go out and do more social work. But I think that's really what you you capture today and I want to thank you for that and if individuals are interested in learning more mm -hmm. about your research or what it is you're doing or wanting to connect with you or talk about possible collaborations what is the best way for them to contact you well it's great if people email me hlarkin at albany.edu I'm always happy to hear from people and can get people involved in the hearts initiative or connected with others um, and also I want to mention that if you want to check out www.aceresponse.org there are some free recorded webinars on there about um, this kind of comprehensive approach to addressing adverse childhood experiences. And Great. that might be helpful to people too. Thank yeah. you so much. So that's hlarkin at albany.edu. So thank you so much, Heather, for being on the show today. And this will be available on podcast format in case anyone has missed it. So you can share it and or re-listen. And uh, Eric, what next? So you've been listening to an interview, our, our live interview here with Dr. Heather Larkin from the University of Albany School of Social Welfare. 
Um, this has been part of an ongoing series that we've started this year where we're profiling faculty members. Uh, one of the great strengths of UAlbany, along with its wonderful student body, is the faculty. And so we think it's important to start showcasing some of the specific research, the service activities, and the teaching excellence that um, the faculty here at the University of Albany are, are are engaged with and so that's uh, that was really part of our intention here with interviewing Dr. Larkin and so Dr. Larkin thank you for being with us today. Thanks so much for the opportunity. You're listening to The Social Workers on WCDB Albany.